Luke chapter 14 and verse 27. And whosoever did not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower setteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that beholdeth, behold it, begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, was not able to finish. We could stop right there and say that's a sermon in itself. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And then they go on to say, or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. The Lord makes it very clear that uh, if you're looking for just some easy type of life, that probably uh, Christianity won't suit you. There's a price that you'll pay for being a Christian. Amen. Now, I, I don't, I don't want to leave this in a, dark, in a dark setting. You just have to sit down in life and ask yourself, one of the most important questions that anyone can ever ask. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I mean, is it really worth it to serve the Lord? Is it really worth it to fight the battles? Is it really worth it? Is it worth it? What, what does this mean to you personally? I could stand up here tonight and tell you from here until the end of the sermon what this all means to me, but it needs to be worth something to you. He's saying that it's worth it to be a disciple. Now, sit down and count the cost. You don't want to start and not finish. We've all seen buildings that's not finished. We're excited when the foundation goes in and the walls start up, but when they stop there, it's such a sad sight. I drove by three nights this week. I drove by a building that they started probably 25 or 30 years ago when I went by it for the first time. And they got it to the point where that they were ready to start finish work and just finish putting in a few windows. That building, beautiful building has sat there with weeds growing up around it ever since that time. Evidently, someone didn't count the cost. Someone didn't think that it was worth paying the cost to make sure that it was finished. Wouldn't it have been a terrible thing if we would have started this church several years ago and got the foundation in and start up with the walls and stop? Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? People drive by and they would point at it. That's what he's saying. They would drive by and say, doesn't that look ridiculous? Somebody should have counted the cost before they started that. But I'm far enough along in the journey now that if you're a new convert, I, I wanna tell you one of the battles you're gonna face, there'll be times in your Christian life and Christian experience where that the enemy will come to you and say, listen, it's just not worth it. 
What you ought to do is just give in, quit. You might as well forget about it. It's just not worth it. But may I remind you of the fact that life's not easy, saved or lost. But I can assure you of this one thing. It is always worth it when you're doing it for the Lord and for the glory of God. Why is it worth it? Well, first of all, it's worth it because it's worth it to be a Christian because we have a savior worth serving. He is worthy of our service. Now, I'm not saved because I serve him, but if he's my savior, I should serve him. That's what the whole purpose of this discipleship was. They weren't a disciple that they were learning to get to a place where they would be saved. No, we are saved, but yet we are disciples of the Lord. It's a learning experience, and he says you're going to face some things, but always count the cost. And if you sit down and say in the middle of your battle, you know something? It is worth it because I have a savior that means more than everything in this world. It's so sad that people don't ever stop to see the Lord as their savior. My mind went back, uh, uh, I think it was 1979. Older folks will remember this. 1979, there was a man that was one of the great threats of the world. His name, he was referred to as the Ayatollah, Ayatollah Khomeini. And Ayatollah Khomeini had been exiled into France. France had let him come there for asylum. He spent four years, if I, if I remember right, in my mind in world history, he spent four years exiled because he was, he was over this group that had raised a rebellion against Iran. And finally it came time for him to return to Iran and when it, when it did, they, uh, they air France. They donated the flight to him. He came back into Tehran on a 747. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were gathered there at the airport when the Ayatollah returned. And he was their religious mouthpiece. They looked to him as a source to know what God wanted them to do in their life. And these thousands of people were gathered together. It must have been 40 minutes or more that he sat on the plane before he finally came out. And finally the plane doors opened And this man, old man with a white beard, started off the plane, surrounded by security. And the people started chanting. And at first they started chanting in Arabic the phrase, God is great. And finally, they started chanting another chant. And that chant got louder and louder and louder. And I can remember listening to the news reporter and someone asked them, what are they saying? They knew the phrase, God is great. They didn't know what they were saying then. And finally, they got an interpreter there. And over worldwide television, our broadcasting system said, they are chanting, my savior, my savior, my savior. So first they were saying, God is great. Then my savior, my savior, my savior. I can remember watching that. And as I watched that, I thought that might be your savior, but that's not my savior. And by the way, my savior's not coming on a 747. He's coming on a cloud and he's gonna clobber the 666 when he gets here. Thank God the same Jesus that went away is coming again. You'll face some things, but hallelujah, we have a Savior. What a Savior. I think of E.M. Bartlett. Many of you don't recognize that name, and that's okay. 
Ian Bartlett in our Christian history was one of the great songwriters. We sing, the choir sings and churches sing a lot of his songs whenever I go into meetings. One of the songs, everybody will be happy over there. We, the choir sings a song here, just a little while. Just a little while to labor, just a little while to wait. Ian Bartlett wrote that song. He, in 1939, he had a stroke. And that stroke left him paralyzed, left him unable to travel, unable to sing, unable to work for the Lord. So the last two years of his life, the stroke had paralyzed him to the point that he felt as though he couldn't do much for the Lord, but he continued to write. Now, before he had his stroke, he was writing songs like everybody will be happy over there. Just a little while to labor, just a little while to wait. But it wasn't until 1939 and that stroke and that problem that he had in the middle of his trial, God gave him the song that is sung more than any of the other songs that we sing by Ian Bartlett. The song that he wrote is Victory in Jesus. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. You see, he was in the middle of the battle, but he was determined that he'd already won the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1941, he died. A few months or years later, his wife got sick. She went into a coma. She had been in a coma for a few days. Their son came to visit her. And when he was able to reach back then, they had what they called oxygen, oxygen tents. It was just a plastic tent set up and oxygen was circulated inside to help people. Many of you, you're gonna tell your age tonight. You can remember when they had the old oxygen tents. And her son reached under the oxygen tent. When he touched her hand, her eyes opened. And she motioned for him to take the tent back and he pulled the tent back and in her own feeble voice she started to sing, squeezing his hand, oh victory in Jesus, my savior forever. She got halfway through the course and drew her last breath and died. Some of the family nearby said, such a shame she didn't get to finish the whole course. He said, oh, but mother did finish it. She finished it as a duet with daddy in the presence of the Lord because the Lord gives us the victory. Yes, we'll go through troubles and trials but hallelujah, when we leave this world, we'll see him face to face. What a victory. We have a savior worth serving. Then too, I believe this, we have a Bible worth believing. This book has everything that we need in it. This book is the prescription for life. Every trial you face, every problem you have, there's an answer for it inside this book. This book should mean more to you than anything in this world. Amen. You've heard me talk a lot from this pulpit about Hyman Appleman. He was a converted Jew, a great evangelist, served the Lord and crisscrossed this country and even into other countries preaching the gospel. But God used him in a great way to bring revivals here to America. When he was converted, his father came to see him. In his Jewish religion, he had never seen the New Testament. He didn't know anything about Christ. And when he came to a knowledge of Christ and began to search the scriptures, conviction came on him and he was saved. His father came to see him where he was living at that time. And by that time, he was already, he had already announced his call to preach. And his father came to see him 
And he started to talk to his father and plead with him about turning to Jesus. And he said, where do you get that from? He said, he held up his Bible. He said, I, I get it from this book. It's the Bible. He said, oh no, no, that's not just the law. And he said, son, I've heard all of this I wanna hear about Jesus. He said, this is what I'm going to do. They used trains for transportation a lot in those days. And he said, if you don't renounce Jesus Christ as your savior, he said, I'm going to go get on the train and I'm going to travel back home. And when I get home, I'm going to build a coffin and we're gonna gather the friends and family around that coffin and we are going to bury the remembrance of you because you will never be a part of our family again. As he stood there that day and he said, what's your decision, son? And he said, I looked at my dad with tears streaming out of his eyes and I'm weeping and he's thinking, I've got to make a choice. Will I believe the Bible or will I trust the Lord or will I obey my father? And he looked at him and he said, I'm sorry, dad. The heavens and earth will pass away but God's word will stand and I have to believe the book and I'm so sorry that I'm going, to, I'm going to have to reject your offer to renounce Christianity because without Christianity, we have no hope and dad, you need Jesus too but his father in anger left. He never saw his father anymore. That old converted Jew would stand time and time again, preach simple gospel messages, and sometimes he would talk to the crowd from his heart, and you could sense the heartbreak that he had until the day he died, that he'd been rejected from his family. But he'd stand there and he said, I want to tell you folks something. Though you have no mother, and though you have no father, and though you have no family, and he'd pick up his body and he would kiss it. He said, this whole book is worth it. It's worth it. You believe it. It'll never let you down. It'll give you everything that you need. If we don't have a Bible to preach, a Bible to teach, a Bible to believe in, then we are all men most miserable. Thank God for the word of God that changes lives and makes the difference. We have a savior worth serving. We have a Bible worth believing. This book is beyond all the other books that you ever own or possess. I have a vast library. My, I, I keep telling Candy, I'm getting older. I don't know why I keep getting books. One came in the mail the other day and she said, what's that? I said, a book. She said, one book, how big is that? I said, 1,348 pages. And uh, she said, what do you need a book like that for? I said, it looked good. <laughs> I said, I'm old enough, got enough money to buy it, I can buy it. And uh, I did buy it, I've already read it, in fact. And uh, powerful book. See, if, if I, I don't put anything in, I can't give you anything from here. If I don't know this book, then there's nothing to share with you. And that was a great book. But I tell you this, I've worn more of these out than any other book that I have. Because this is the book of all books. Every other book is like a candle compared to the sun when you compare it to this book. 
this book will show you not only that you've sinned, but it'll give you the cure for your sin and tell you how to be saved. As I stood at the altar last night with someone seeking the Lord, people say, what do you do when people's there? What do you give them? I give them the word. When I sit down to counsel people, it doesn't matter what I think or what somebody else thinks, it's what the word of God says. He'll never go against his word. So we have a Bible that's worth believing. But then finally, we also have a church worth supporting. Now, I know, I know, I see the church in both realms. There is the church of the living God. That's the universal church of all believers that have been born again, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Their name has been written in the book of life. There is the church. But also, if you read the Bible, there were local churches established. Now, local churches were not established because one was to be better than the other, and they are all part of the church. But still, you need to have a local church that will preach the Bible, that will teach the Bible, that will fellowship with you and help you. You need a local church. Someone said, well, you don't need the church to go to heaven. You can be saved without the church. I know a lot of people that they're homebound, they can't go to church, I realize that. But I'm here to tell you, the best thing is to be in church. It is. You'll get something tonight from being here with other Christians and hearing the message and hearing the song, you'll get something here that you just won't get as much of it. I'm not, I'm not saying when you get shut in and you can't go, God understands all of that. But also there's some people though that they, they pronounce Christianity, but then they defy the local church. They talk about the church. And what's even worse, they talk about their own church. I go a lot of places to preach and I, I'm not saying that to brag. God has opened a lot of doors for me to go and preach. I love to go and preach. I've been in some great churches. I've been in large churches, small churches, in between sized churches. I've been in churches, so many denominations, I'd bore you if I gave you the list of all the denominations. Someone said, how do you go into all of those denominations? How do you preach in all those denominations? Just preach the book. Nobody can argue with you if you stay in the book. We always get in trouble when we get out of the Bible. But I found that there's believers all around the world. And I love all of these churches. I appreciate them. And I know the importance of the local church. But also I feel like that you should have a love, not only for the church, but for the church that you're a part of. I'm not talking about just a love for the pastor or a love for some of the people or a few of the people, a love for the music program. I'm talking about a love for the church. I love this church. I do, I love this church. I, I know you get tired of hearing me say it, but I'm gonna beat this drum till I die. We don't know what we have right here. 
there's people that come from all over the country just to meet. Last Wednesday night, a pastor and his wife with him battling such severe cancer came all the way from Alabama just to see what Rubyville was like and see if it was as good in person as what they'd seen online. I, I hear constantly from people everywhere. I read today of an individual in Virginia that watches live stream was saved through this church. I, I, I just got a contact today. They said, I am really considering selling out and retiring and moving to Rubyville just so I can have a church. Do you know how blessed we are to have a place that still lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ and is not ashamed to invite people to be saved and still praises God and still sings hymns and still rejoices and still stands true and still looks forward to coming together in worship and praying and seeking God. We are blessed and we are blessed to be a part That's why I support this church. For those of you that travel with me, you know everywhere I go, somewhere in that meeting, at least one night, if not more, I will tell everybody there, if you've never been to Rubyville, everybody ought to go to Rubyville at least one time on their way to heaven. We're not better than anybody else. But this is where God put me. And this is where God wants me. And therefore, when I come together, I can preach in pulpits all around the world, but I love to preach in this pulpit more than any other pulpit because this is the place that God has put his hand on me to be here. I remember when it was settled years ago and I first came to the church, Howard Richard was with me under the oak trees back at the old camp, the original camp. Must have been 2.30, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'm sorry I'm into precious memories, but camp brings all of that back. And through that time, I left. I went out of the country to preach a meeting. You all voted on me as pastor to come and preach. That was a great day in our life in September in 1983 when God brought Candy and I into this place. And God, since that time, has continued to build on our fellowship and our love one for another. And I'm telling you, I love the church. I love coming to church. I love being in the church. I'm proud to to say, I'm a part of this church. Go ahead and attack me with your social media wars. I'm not on Facebook. I don't hear you. I don't see you. All I know is I come into this place and I feel the mighty power of God and I sense the presence of God and I get to see people trust God and be saved. I get to go to a Sunday school class that we can't get in, we can't get any more chairs in. There's so many people coming to hear about the word of God. Thank God I go to a church like this church. Is it worth it? I didn't mean to say all that, but I wish I could repeat it. Sometimes I'll tell Candy. She'll say, how did service go? I said, it went. 
Why? Nobody wanted to be there. Nobody came expecting anything. I came tonight expecting somebody to fall in love with Jesus. I came tonight expecting a blessing from him. We have a church worth supporting. I'm not gonna keep you in overtime. Let, let, me, let me give this to you. The name may not mean much to you. Uh, the name John Holden. John Holden was an old preacher from England. And of course, they were dependent on crossing the channel. And for any of you that have traveled into Europe, you know there are certain times of the year when crossing the channel by boats, the type of boats that they use, just sophisticated ferry boats, some of them, but it was a treacherous journey. One day, the cries went out in the community in the darkness of the night that a boat had capsized in the chilly waters of the channel. John Holden got up and started to leave. His mother said, where are you going? He said, I'm gonna go see if there's anything I can do to help. Wasn't long till it was all hands on deck. Small boats going out in the cold waters and the rough waters to try to rescue those that had been in the boat that had capsized. One by one, they were pulling them in. John Holden would take care of them when they come in, praying for some that were near death. John Holden said, is that all? They asked the captain. He gave them the number. He said, there's one missing. And a man said, I know, I tried to rescue him. But when he took hold of my hand, the waters were so cold and my hand was so stiff and his hand was so stiff that he slid out of my hand and he went under the rubbish and I couldn't find him. And he said, is he still out at sea? They said, yes. All the others were out searching and John Holden thought, I've got to get to them. So he got in a boat and his mother said, where are you going? He said, I'm going out. I'm gonna find him. I'm gonna let them know we've got to find him. There's one still missing. As long as we have this time, there's hope. She begged him and said, John, please don't go. I'm older and I need you. He said, I'll be fine, mother. I've got to go. I feel something inside me saying, you've got to go. And John Holden said, I got out in the icy waters. All the other boats returned after a long period of time with the exception of the boat that John Holton was on. The fog had settled in and the fog was almost like ice in the air. And they kept crying out, crying out so they'd know where to come to shore. They would cry out, John, John, no answer. About the time they were ready to give up, his mother gained the strength to say, John Holden, where are you, my boy? And he said, mother, all is well. I found him. I found him. He's alive. She said, was it worth it? Back through the fog came the cry. Yes, mother, it was worth it. 
It was my brother that they left behind. He didn't realize he was going out in search of his own brother. Some will say, why on this Sunday night do you all come to a place like this? Because you are worth it, friend. Your soul is worth it. It is worth it to go to heaven with you. It is worth it to tell you that Jesus will save you and forgive you and change your life and make you a new person. It's worth it because you have a soul that is worth more than everything in this world. So for those of you that are saved, can I just ask you one more time, is it worth it? (laughs) Is it worth it? Have you counted the cost? Is it worth it? Let's stand together. Brother Howard, come get a song if you'd be kind enough, my brother. Your heads are bowed throughout this sanctuary and nobody is looking on. Moms and dads, even down to the children, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed and nobody is looking. Is it worth it? These Christians have testified. Some of them have been serving God now 50, 60, 70 years. And they'll tell you it's been worth it. It's worth it. Some have gone through hard times, seen sorrow and heartache, but it's worth it. It's worth it. I'm going to ask you, if you're unsaved, to do something right now. I want you to count the cost. Well, you say, Cal, how do I count the cost? Well, let's let's think about this for a moment before we say. You have a soul that will never cease to be. Millions and millions of years from tonight, your soul will be somewhere. And there's only two destinies for the soul. A wonderful place called heaven. A terrible, terrible place called hell. And I'm here to tell you it's worth it to be saved. And you've got to count the cost. Is what you're living for in this life, whatever it is that you're living for, that you're loving more than anything, is that thing worth Missing heaven for. You say, well, preacher, if I come and get saved, you said there'd be troubles. Yes, but that's the difference. Now when we face troubles, we've got somebody to go to that cares for us.